bless you. Well, listen, it is so good to be here in the house of worship tonight. And we thank God for you. Thank God for this opportunity that he's given us to come in to share. I, I do count it a privilege as well as an honor to be able to come together to corporately study the word of God. You should, uh, if you have... You should, have had, you should have two handouts. Well, one from last week uh, was our survey of the book of Joel, those notes. Uh, and if you don't have one of those, we'll, we'll get you one. Uh, just kind of raise your hand and ushers us. Just, we, we'll grab some. And tonight I gave you a, a little handout uh, from some stuff that we're learning in our men's ministry, which I think applies appropriately to um, what you do in the middle of uh, being away from God or when you have... Uh, you know, strayed uh, and all struggling in a particular area. So, uh, so what we're going to do, we're going to, if we will, um, let's uh, prepare to uh, to jump into the lesson text, and we'll get those handouts to those who need them. Okay. Uh, so go with me to the book of Joel, uh, and we'll um, commence the reading uh, from this first chapter again. Again, in the outline I gave you, the theme for this book is. Blessing from God follows obedience to him. Everybody say blessing from God follows obedience to him. Joel, the son of Pethuel, is the, is, is the writer of this book, Joel the prophet, and his name means the Lord is God. And so his purpose in writing this book was to warn Judah of God's impending judgment uh, because of its, its sins and to urge the people to turn back to God. If you ever studied biblical history, particularly as you go back into the Old Testament, you see a constant, consistent pattern taking place. And we, we went over this uh, when we studied the book of Judges. How many of you went through Judges? And there was a consistent pattern uh, that if you study, and you don't, if you're a casual reader of the word of God, uh, you'll, you'll, you'll notice that uh, there was a pattern that took place with God's people. Now, God loves his people. There is chosen people, Israel. He loves us. We're his chosen uh, flock, uh, part of the body of Christ. Amen. We who are born again believe that God loves us. But the pattern that showed up in his chosen nation, Israel, I think shows up in our life today. It was a pattern to where God would bless his people, Right. Uh, God would bless his people. And then after blessing his people, his people will somewhat become complacent because of the blessings that they were operating and walking in. All right. And then once they became complacent because God had blessed them, they began to turn their backs on God and start whoring after other gods. And then God will allow them to go for a little bit and God would send his judgment and his judgment uh, was not to, uh, because, yes, he was angry that they turned away from him, but his judgments was designed to get them to turn back to him. Anytime in scripture where you see a judgment taking place or chastisement or, or even in the New Testament church, when you deal with an issue and you, and you have to correct someone or to rebuke someone or to excommunicate someone from the church, that excommunication or that dealing with that issue always, always, everybody say always, always has the purpose in mind of getting the person back to their proper place in God. God, whenever he allows something or when God sends something into our life uh, that causes us some heartache and pain, 
He's always trying to get us to turn back to him. Are you listening to me? Okay. So that was the pattern of, of the children of Israel. So we see here as we come to the book of Joel, where uh, the Joel gets a word from the Lord in verse one. And let's let's read it from the New Living Translation. And we're going to skip through some verses uh, because I'm, I'm going to summarize. This is a survey of the book of Joel. So we'll try to skip around just a little bit to get you, get you the gist of what's happening here. We saw last week that there was a locust invasion that took place um, with the with the crops of of the of the nation of Israel, of the nation of Judah. Okay, so the text said the Lord gave this message to Joel, son of Pethiel. He gave this message. KJV says the word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pethiel. Verse verse. Uh, let's go to verse number two. It says, hear this, you old men, and give ear all ye inhabitants of the land. Hath this been in your days or even in the days of your fathers? Verse number three says, tell your children of it and let your children tell their children and their children and other generations. That which the palmer worm have left hath the locust eaten, and that which the locust have left hath the canker worm eaten, and that which the canker worm have left hath the caterpillar eaten. Awake, you drunkards, and weep and howl, all you drinkers of wine, because of the new wine, for it is cut off from your mouth. For a nation is come upon my land, strong and without number, whose teeth are the teeth of a lion, and hath the cheek teeth of a great lion. He hath laid my vine waste and bark my fig tree. He hath made it clean, bare, and cast it away. The branches thereof are made white. And then he goes on down. If you skip down with me. It, look, look at verse number 11. It says, Be your shame, O ye husband. Uh, howl, O ye vine dressers, for the wheat and for the barley, because the harvest of the field is what? Perish. Verse number 12 says what? The, the vine is dried up and the fig tree languished. The pomegranate tree, the palm tree also, and the apple tree. Even all the trees of the field are withered because joy is withered away from the sons of men. I'm going to read uh, verse number 13. Let's, let's go to the New Living Translation on verse number 13 right quick. And, and in that, it says, dress yourselves in burlap and weep, ye, ye priests. Now, again, I want you to notice something here. Uh, when it says, dress yourself in burlap and, and weep, uh, this is similar to what, what they would do uh, during the period of mourning or ex, 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 intense mourning. They would dress themselves uh, in in uh, in, in burlap sacks, and, and then that was a sign of mourning, okay? And so it's, it says, you preach. It starts with the preachers, okay? And a lot of times what, what we see happening is whenever a nation or a group begins to descend and to pull away from God, you can usually trace it back to a lack of word coming from the pulpit. You usually can trace it back to... Um, not all the time, but you usually can trace it back to the fact that 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 men stop uh, enduring and preaching sound doctrine. Men men stop uh, sharing the word of God in a plain and understandable format. And now, rather than preaching Bible and and exegeting the text and going down through it, uh, you know, chapter by chapter and verse by verse, we want quick sermons in thirty minutes that tell us how to solve our problem, right? And nobody wants to study their Bible anymore. Okay? I got one amen on that. I didn't even think I got one amen. 
Do y'all realize that people don't study their Bibles? Do you realize that sometimes we get to the point to where we're not really indelved into the word? Can we be honest? This is a Wednesday night. This is Halloween night. People out trick-or-treating. And I want y'all to be honest in the house of the Lord. People, Christian believers who, who I believe, uh, you know, uh, are saved and will go to heaven. But people are not pursuing God through his word any longer. We're looking for, uh, you know, sort of help type messages. Uh, and there's a time and a need for words of encouragement because all of us need to be exhorted, right, from time to time. But when we get away from the word of God, it's too easy for the enemy to come in and to begin to dis disrupt our thinking and our mind. OK, so we want to be a people who stay in the word. But again, the text says here, dress yourself in burlap and wheat. You preach. He starts with the preachers, the preachers. Well, you who serve before the altar, come spend the night in burlap, you ministers of my God. For there is no grain or wine to offer at the temple of your God. So now again, what has happened here? Remember the scenario. Judgment, this is a this is a, a, a forerunner of the judgment of God, of the day of the Lord that's going to come upon his people. So the text says here, uh, uh, verse number, skip down to verse number 15 says, the day of the Lord, now back up, verse 14, announce a time of fasting, call the people together for a solemn meeting. Bring the leaders and all the people of the land into the temple of the Lord your God and cry out to him. Now, again, what we see is uh, crops are destroyed. Uh, uh, you know, things are being laid waste. And what he says is uh, during this time uh, of, of God's judgment being shown toward Judah for turning away from him because they became complacent. They 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 were being they were being prospered. And so. Out of their prosperity, they turn their back on God. Child of God, don't ever get to the point to where when God blesses you, you forget about the one who blessed you. That's what God told the children of Israel in Deuteronomy. He says, thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that does what? Giveth thee the power to get wealth, so that he may do what? Establish his covenant. And so he says, announce a time of fasting. Call the people together for a solemn meeting. Bring the leaders and all the people of the land into the temple of the Lord your God and cry out to him there. So, again, whenever we see a nation, we say, see a people who pull away from God and judgment begins to come. There's a pattern or there's an order that the leaders should lead them in. First of all, announce a time of fasting. OK, uh, how many of y'all have fasted in the last year or two? Okay, all right. I mean, a, a, a fast you declared yourself. Okay, all right. Um, fasting is something that that each and every one of us should do and in, include in, in in our individual uh, life as a believer. I can't tell you how how long to fast and how many times to fast, but I would tell you that fasting should be a part of our spiritual discipline. The Bible says there are some demons, demonic spirits that we deal with that they don't come out except but by fasting and praying. So if you're dealing with a situation where it's those kind of demons that ain't going to move unless you fast and pray, and if you want them folks that don't want to fast, I'm hungry, I likes to eat, then you won't ever get that thing solved because there's some stuff that you deal with as of a demonic nature that's going to take fasting and praying to deal with it. So the first thing it tells them to do what is, is call a fast, call the people together for a solemn meeting. 
Bring the leaders and all the people of the land to the temple of the Lord your God and cry out to him there. Now, again, on your outline, I told you that as we survey this book, we see uh, some some key things that 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 we ought to be uh, mindful of. OK, so first thing I told you was it, it, it as far as the key applications in this book is, is when bad things happen, that's a good time to examine your life and purge out any known sin. Now, bad things can happen to all of us. Just because something bad happened to you or something adverse happened doesn't mean that you are in sin. But what I'm saying is, is that it is, is that when things do happen, that's the time to do self-evaluation. Everybody say self-evaluation. We need to evaluate ourselves. We need to make sure that that we're not we don't have something on the inside of us that that, that needs to be dealt with. And particularly, we said known sin. Go with me right quick to 2 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, verse number 15. Because all of us uh, from time to time experience unexpected trials that hit us hard at a, at, at a point of vulnerability, right? All, how many of y'all have been through something since you've been saved? Are y'all still, are y'all awake tonight? I, I, need, I need to make sure y'all awake. Are y'all listening to me tonight? Since you've been saved, have you had some trials have you had some unfortunate incidents that came into your life unexpectedly? And see, those things, because we live in a fallen world, children of God, those things happen. The Bible says it rains on the just as well as what? The unjust. So just because we are saved does not mean that we're not going to experience some tragedy in our lives. But when those tragic situations come, when those valley experiences come, when the unexpected sickness come to your house, when the job loss comes and when the relationship breaks up and you get a divorce, then your faith that you've been standing on has to become alive and be relevant in how you deal with those situations. Amen. No need of me preaching about faith and then something happened in my house. I'm, I'm ooh, what are we going to do? We're going to stand and believe. We're going to trust in God. We're not going to waver because God's word is true. How many of y'all believe it's true? Amen. His word is true. He cannot lie. So I'm standing on the promises of God. I'm believing God, amen, that he will see us through. Now, look what, look what the text says here. But again, when we're going through a situation like this, one of the things we got to recognize is that we, it, it's a time for self-evaluation. 2 Corinthians 13 chapter. Let's look at verse number 5. 2 Corinthians 13, verse number 5, real quickly. The text says this. And y'all, y'all have heard me share this before. Paul was writing to the saints at Corinth, and he says, examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. All right? Test yourselves. Surely you know that Jesus Christ is among you. If not, you have failed the test of genuine faith. He said, examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. Child of God, you heard me say it over and over again. You will never know if your faith is truly genuine if your faith is not tested. Okay? You will never know if it's genuine, if it's true, if it's never tested. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you this. You don't even know if you got a true friendship until that friendship is tested. Until you and your friend vehemently disagree about something and, and, and if y'all can't stay together after vehemently disagreeing about something, then you really didn't have a true friend. You may have had an acquaintance. And y'all know some of y'all like that. I'm not, I'm not talking to anybody individual, but I, 
I, I can imagine with the number of people here tonight, we have some people who when when people tell them the truth about themselves and you disagree with them, you kind of step back. Maybe you don't maybe you don't just come out and say it. I ain't gonna be your friend anymore. But then all of a sudden you stop calling. All of a sudden, when the call ID pops up and that person's number on there, what did you do? Hit decline. Y'all know Christians do that, right? Huh? And we do that when we are upset with people. Not, not, not sometimes when you're in the middle of something, you're in a meeting or you, you sleeping or you're reading your Bible, you don't answer your cell phone, okay? Amen? But I'm talking about you're not answering it because you're upset because that person didn't agree with you and you were wrong. And they told you about it because they thought they were your friend. They thought you could handle the truth. They knew that faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. But when they told you the truth, you got mad with them. Anybody in that, in that category? Just, just look straight ahead. Nobody knows you, okay? But, but we got to, guys, we got to get to the point to where we examine ourselves, examine our friendship to see if it's true or not. But we won't know that until it's tested. I don't really know, come on now, I don't really know that you respect me as a pastor until I tell you something that's going on in your life that you need to change based on the word of God. How do you handle that? I'm not talking about from the pulpit. I'm talking about one-on-one. Okay, y'all still sleep. I, I don't really know that you, that you honor the position of the pastor until I have to deal with you one-on-one about something and see how you respond. Because when I'm preaching, you think I'm talking about everybody else. Come on now. Most of us, when, when the preaching word is going on, a lot of people don't sit there and think, well, yeah, yeah, okay, I need to change that about me. And then nudge your, nudge your wife and say, baby, you know what? I'm going to do better. Pastor just said that, and I'm going to do better. Most people will figure out how that word is hitting somebody else, right? And so, but we, we got to get to the point to where, guys, we examine ourselves. So it, 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 going back, Paul tells them to examine yourself to see if your faith is genuine or not. Faith that, that's genuine will prove itself uh, whenever it's put on trial. So it, back, back to the book of Joel, that first chapter, the locust invasion was unexpected. It came out of nowhere. It struck the nation at a point of great vulnerability. It struck the food supply. The result was great mourning and immediate repentance was the need of the day, was the order for the day. OK, so but again, the, the first point we want to get out of this is that when bad things happen, not that every bad thing that happened came because of sin, but that's a great time to do some self-evaluation because maybe maybe you're in the middle of something. Maybe you don't know. Maybe you don't know that you are being prideful. As a matter of fact, most people who are prideful don't even know it. Pride is one of them sins where it is it, sneaky and, and you, you, you'll sit there and, and think that you don't, you're not walking in pride and it's, it's false humility that you're walking in. And, 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 and so pride will, will go before destruction of the Holy Spirit before fall, but sometimes you don't even know you're walking in pride. Hello? And so, 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 Examine yourselves whenever you're facing a test, whenever you're going through a trial, learn to examine yourself, learn to examine to see if your faith is genuine, examine your life and purge out any known sin that's in your life. Okay. now, second thing we look at here uh, as we skip on down, uh, 
we go to the end of the chapter. Look, look, go with me to verse number, uh, verse number 15 and we'll move down to the end of the chapter. Here. Verse number 15 says, uh, the day of the Lord is near. Now, again, remember, uh, the day of the Lord here uh, is speaking of God's judgment coming to particularly Judah uh, in this particular instant. But the day of the Lord is also reaching toward the future, too, because there's going to become a day of the Lord when Jesus comes back and begins to judge this world. Y'all know that's coming, right? One of the things that we always talk about, the, the, the order of events during the last days is that there'll be the rapture of the church first. And then later on, uh, when Jesus comes back to establish his millennium kingdom, we'll come back with him that he's going to judge the world. That's the day of the Lord. That's future tense. But the locust coming was a sign of the coming judgment that was coming against the people who had turned away from God, who become complacent. Because of their prosperity. Guys, don't ever get complacent in, 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 in your walk with the Lord because God blesses you. So number two, the, the second thing we want to focus in on uh, as we we'll read down to the end of this chapter is that future judgment ought to motivate present repentance for everyone. Future judgment ought to motivate present repentance for everyone. If I know that I'm going to be judged, then I, I, it, it ought to motivate me to repent of my sins. Are you listening to me today? Look, look, we say the day of the Lord is near the day when destruction comes from the almighty. How terrible that day will be. Verse number 16 says this. Our food disappears before our very eyes. No joyful celebrations are held in the house of God. This was the order of the day for Judah during this time that Joel, the prophet, gives a word from God. Look what it says in verse 17. It says, the seeds die in the parched ground and the grain crops fail. The barns stand empty and granaries are abandoned. Verse 18 says, uh, how the animals moan with hunger. The herds of cattle wandered about confused because they have no pasture. The flocks of sheep and goats bleat in misery. Uh, keep reading. It says, Lord, help us. The fire has consumed the wilderness, pastures and flames have burned up all the trees. Next verse says what? Even the wild animals cry out to you because the streams have dried up and fire has consumed the wilderness pastures. Okay? Now again, that's the scenario. That's what's happening. Now this is for this is foreshadowing the the coming judgment of the Lord. Again, why was God bringing judgment? Because they had turned away from him as he blessed them. When he blessed them, they began to prosper and they became complacent and turned their back on God. Now, so, so when we get to the second part here, future judgment ought to motivate present repentance for everyone. Joel now switched his perspective to the end times, the day of the Lord. The locust invasion, again, was a, was a graphic metaphor pointing to the more intense visitation from the Lord in the end time. Guys, let me tell you something. Uh, you, thank God, I believe in, in, in premillennial uh, rapture. I believe that the church will be taken up out of here before this judgment uh, and all hell breaks loose during the great tribulation period. I believe that the Bible teaches very clearly. Now, now that you'll have other people who read the Bible just like I do and, and, will, and will tell you that, well, no, it's, it's mid-tribulation period. In other words, tribulation period is a seven-year period, right? And it's going to be three and a half years of peace and then three and a half years of total hell here on earth. The Bible I read, I believe, teaches, according to 1 Thessalonians, the fourth chapter, that uh, the dead in Christ going to rise first, then we which are alive to remain be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. I believe that takes place 
prior to, that, that, that takes place before the tribulation period. There are some who believe that their rapture will take place mid-tribulation. In other words, after the three and a half years of pre peace, because the Antichrist is going to reveal himself, he's going to be the one that, would, that comes on the scene and gives an answer to all the world's problems. He's going to be one that, that, would, that, that people would, would turn to for answers, even though he's, he's duping them, because ultimately he's going to turn on them. I, you know, for a period of time when I would read about biblical prophecy and talk about the Antichrist and how he could be a world leader, I, I, I never could really put my arms, uh, my mind around and grasp that. How could that possibly be? be if I go back 20, 25 years. But now as we fast forward 20, 25 years and I see how the world is connected and how a leader can take a situation and turn an entire group to think like him, it, it, it becomes very evident that when someone comes with an answer that seems to solve your problem, that you follow that person blindly. Do y'all see it happening today? People don't even question. You can tell them a lie and they still believe your lie because there are spirits that will, that will, when we don't stay tied to God's word and stay true to God's word, the, the, those demonic spirits will twist your thinking. So it, it, it became very, and even more so now, it becomes very evident to me that, that it's not a reach to believe that we can have a one world leader. Not very, no stretch of the imagination now. Particularly in the age of social media, where people are connected worldwide, and people will follow someone uh, hook, line, and sinker without ever questioning what that person is doing. Guys, we're living in the last days. Now, watch this. Watch this. So, look at your outline. The term "day of the Lord" is used in several senses in Scripture. The Old Testament prophets sometimes use the term for judgment to be fulfilled in the near future. At other times, they use the term as related to the distant eschatological future. No, the doctrine of eschatology is when you study end times event. So sometimes when you see the day of the Lord, it's referencing the end time events. When Jesus comes to establish the millennial kingdom and judge this world. Okay, so uh, so but but the immediate context of the term generally indicates what sense it's intended for. So this future day of the Lord related to the tribulation period, will be a painful period here on earth. But again, the good part about it, if you're saved and you truly know Jesus, you get to be raptured up out of here. Everybody say, thank God for the rapture. As a matter of fact, go, go with me right quick. Let's look at a, a few scriptures, and I know y'all know this. Go to First Thessalonians, the fourth chapter again. Um, uh, the good news again is, is First Thessalonians 4, verse number 13. The good news is that as a born again believer, as part of the church of Jesus Christ, we will be raptured out of here prior to this time period. Thank God for that. All right. Y'all still with me? All right. Let's read first four and 13. Y'all know this, but we don't spend a whole lot of time. on It says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died. So you will not grieve like people who have no hope. This is very again. It generally every, at every funeral of a born again believer someone who's confessed Christ. I love to read this because the Bible says comfort one another with these words. It says, uh, don't grieve like people who have no hope. All right. So let me ask you a question. A person who has no hope, how do they grieve? Somebody, somebody talk to me. How does a person who has no hope grieve versus one who does have hope? 
What's the difference? Okay, jump in the casket, all right? So if you don't have no hope, you jump in the casket. Try to take the, take the loved one out of the casket, right? There's no what? Uh, there's no comfort, okay? What? Huh? They remain depressed for an extended, unhealthy period of time. You know, anybody can slip into a state of depression when it comes to losing a loved one, but but there's a certain period of time, and I'm not I'm not I'm not telling you that that grieving has to be 90 days and it's over with. But if you're still grieving two and three years later, that's unhealthy. That's and that's to me, that's a person who may not have a proper mindset as to what this verse actually is saying. Okay, but it says believers who have died so that you will not grieve like people who have no hope. Verse 14. Come on, let's go. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. Verse 15 says what? We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. Y'all know this. Come on. Verse 16 says what? For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with the commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. First, the Christians who have died will rise from their graves. Next verse says what? Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. Verse 18 says what? So encourage or comfort each other with these words. That's why at every funeral of believers, I like to share that because the Bible says especially to comfort each other with these words. Go to 1 Corinthians the 15 chapter with me, verse 51 and 52. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51 and 52. Now all of us, again, are going to face judgment. It just that depends on which judgment we're going to face. All right. You want to be at the beam of judgment and not the great white throne judgment. Okay, there's a difference. Look at what Paul says here in first Corinthians 15 says, but let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. Can we read that out loud and on purpose? It says what? But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die. Stop. We will not all die. Okay? Remember that. The next funeral you go to, I can almost promise you, you'll hear somebody say, we all got to go this way. What did it just say? Let me reveal you a wonderful secret. We will not all die. Is that what it says? But we will all be transformed. So everybody will not taste physical death. Now, I don't, I don't argue with people about that. Uh, because sometimes people aren't focused on the rapture. I'm focused on the rapture. And, and all of us, when we focus on the fact that Jesus could come back at any moment, the Bible says it should cause us to purify ourselves. Sometimes we, we calling on Jesus to do some stuff. He says, if you just rely on me and, and trust my Holy Spirit and, and, and get out of the way, I'll help you. But, but there's a part that we got to do too, okay? Y'all with me? All right, so verse 52, let's read that together. It says what? It will happen in a moment. What will happen in the moment? The transformation. Because it says, skip back to verse 51. 51 says what? 
but let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die. But we will all be transformed. So we all we, we all will be transformed. We're going to be different. These bodies that we have now are not the bodies that we'll have forever. Thank God. Right? Sometimes these bodies hurt. The older you get, sometimes you know you can't get up as you can't get up as quickly. You can't get down as fast. You know when you're old, you start getting down like this. I mean, just getting down on the ground. You know, do, I mean, yeah, it happens. I never thought I'd see the day. But I'm careful, since Dars will like go down, because I don't want to accidentally or tear something or break something. You know. I don't care how good a shape you are in and you get older, you know, sometimes your, your body just doesn't function. But, but again, thank God that it is with us as well as it is. Amen. We ain't crying about it. Just try to get in the best shape you can. But still, when you go down, go down slow. <laughs> Amen. I learned that's just wisdom, okay? <laughs> but let, let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we all shall be transformed. Now, what, what does it say? Next verse says what? Come on. It will happen in a moment in the blink of an eye when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be what? So those who will die, it says, will be raised to live forever. So in other words, the spirit man is reconnected with the physical body, but it's going to be a transformed, glorified body. And then we who are still living are going to also be transformed. All right. Now, so. Uh, so uh, when we look at this, uh, I, I told you all of us are going to face judgment, right? So since we're all going to face judgment, one of the things that we got to recognize is judgment is coming. Again, two different types of judgment. One, the great white throne judgment is for those who rejected Christ. But the beam of judgment, see, which you hear us preach about all the time, is where we will go to be judged on what we've done in this life as a believer as a born again believer. OK, and so that's why I, I gave you a little something here that, that, that our men's group has been studying and I, I want to share this with you. And I told him I was going to share this because everybody needs to know this. There's a, a battle plan for when you're struggling, when you did like the, the nation of Judah who had turned away from God and were doing their own thing. He told them to fast. He told them to, to call a solemn meeting. But individually, you and I need to know what the battle plan is as it relates to dealing with our struggles. We're struggling with some sin and we're struggling with, with some situation in our life. How do we get beyond that? So I just want to share this with you real quickly. Uh, the battle plan that we, we're learning as in, in, in men ministry, and I want you to, to, to learn it too, it's, it's basically, number one, we learn and we have to learn how to admit the struggle. How many of you know most men don't like to admit the struggle? Don't want to admit that 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 I'm having a hard time with this. Don't want to admit that 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 maybe I'm not doing what God wants me to do. Don't want to admit that maybe I don't know this, and it's okay to not know this. Amen. First thing is you got to admit the struggle. Again, uh, the bullet point says admit your struggle to yourself and to God. Own up that there is an external issue causing problems. And have become an idol in your life. Get an accurate picture of where you really are and what, you re- what you're really struggling with. Be ruthlessly honest about your struggle with one or more trustworthy believers. 
and remove your mask with trustworthy believers and begin moving toward God's grace. Until you admit the struggle, until you admit the situation, until you are honest with yourself, you won't get the deliverance that you need. Everybody say admit the struggle. All right. Second thing is, is, is we have to identify the lie. We, we discovered that all of us at some point in time tell ourselves lies. <laughs> and in the words of the, I told the guys, I, I still refer back to Dr. Ruben Periscope. She said, she told her husband, I believe that you believe that. <laughs> and sometimes we believe stuff. It ain't, it ain't true, but we really believe it. And you better believe some people believe that stuff. I believe that you believe that. You really think that, that you don't do anything wrong. You really think that you got the answer to this and you really don't. You really think, I got this. And it's clear that you don't have it, but in your mind, you got this. Are y'all listening to me? See, identify the lie. In other words, go below the surface and identify the lie that is seducing you, the lie that you are believing at the core of your heart. What, what is it that the enemy has told you about yourself, or what, what is it that you told yourself about you that's a lie that needs to be borne out? Remember that all idols overpromise and underdeliver. How is this idol duping you? What is it promising you? What is it telling you? Identify the lie. And again, when you identify the lie, the third component is what? Replace with the truth. Replace that lie with the truth. And here's the part I think that a lot of us mess up. Go to Matthew, the fourth chapter. A lot of us mess up because we don't replace the lie with the truth. First of all, some of us won't, won't identify the lie because we believe that we believe what we believe. What we believe can be just dead wrong, but we believe in it. And we're not letting anybody change our mind. Admit the struggle. Identify the lie. And replace it with the truth. Matthew, the fourth chapter. Here, that's what Jesus did. Watch this. Watch this. Matthew 4, verse number 1. Hurry, hurry, hurry. The text says this. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. Verse 2 says, for 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and became very hungry. Verse 3 says, during that time the devil came and said to them, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. Verse 4, but Jesus told them, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Here he is replacing lie with truth. Next verse says what? Then the devil took him to the holy city of Jerusalem to, to the highest point of the temple. Text says what? And said, if you are the son of God, jump off for the scripture says he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on the stone. Here he is, switch the scripture. He's telling a lie. Okay. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. Here he is replacing the lie with the truth. See, the word of God is there to enable us to stand. Faith comes by the word. Faith coming by, hearing, hearing by what? The word of God. So we, we, we got to identify the lie that we're telling ourselves. All right. Some of you are telling yourself, I, you know, I don't really need. I don't, I don't need to be in Sunday school. I, I don't really need to uh, to uh, to read today. I mean, you know, I'm, I, I can I can sit in a class and buffalo my way through it. 
I can sit in that class and make people think that I, that I've been studying and I can I can throw a little nugget in here. It may not even be dealing with the lesson, but I can throw something in to make people think that I'm really deep in the Lord. And we think that's OK. I can preach that lesson. I can teach that lesson and and kind of get my way through it. And 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 because after all, I got a degree from Harvard. Oh, I've got a degree from wherever. And I'm an intelligent man. And I'm an intelligent woman. And I can, I, you know, I'm smart. Whenever you start telling yourself, I mean, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a braggadocious, narcissistic way that you're smart. And I believe all of us in here are smart. You understand me? But when you start, t- let somebody else tell you you're smart. As a matter of fact, the Bible says, let, let, let another man's lip praise you, not your own. When you start telling everybody how good you can do this, how good I can preach, how good I can coach, how good I can teach, how good I can do this. There's an element of pride there. Let another man's lip praise you, not your own. If you're a gifted, people will tell you. Do you want to tell anybody you're gifted? If you got to go around and tell, I'm, I'm, the Lord don't gifted me here, you ain't really that gifted. Because you're trying to convince me that you're gifted. When you really are gifted, you don't tell, you ain't, you ain't got to tell a soul. Because that gift will make room for you. That gift will become evident to all those who are around you. To you, it ain't nothing but a thing. You don't even say anything about it because it ain't, ain't no big deal to you. But it's your gifting. But if you got to tell me, I can sing. You can't sing. Hello? Not under anointing. Are y'all with me? Learn to walk in humility. I, I, I meet those folks all the time who want to impress you. I, I, I Listen, guys, I... I don't try to impress people. I just want to be the person God called me to be, be faithful and committed, do the work of the ministry, love people, and make have kingdom impact wherever I go. And so if we, if we just learn to do that and stop trying to build ourselves up, guys, we can go, we can go a whole lot further, okay? All right, so, so Jesus, the scripture says you must not test the Lord your God. So every time, on the way, you, we can go to the end of this, end of this but I'm going to stop right here. But Jesus replaced the lie with truth. And in our own lives, we got to learn how to do that, okay? All right, so, 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 now, now, so replace the lie, replace with the truth. Replace your idols with something that is better, something reliable that comes through with, that comes through with the truth of, 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 of grace and forgiveness in Jesus and the more satisfying promise of Scripture. We got to make sure that we put the Word of God into the forefront of our mind and our thinking. Are y'all with me? All right, so, uh, uh, flip the back your back page right quick, and this is something that that I, we we were we were meditate on this on Saturday. And it, it just it just blew my mind again as I read more deeply into it because this is so true. Uh, transformation begins with the renewing of your mind. Some one of the reasons why many of us aren't be, aren't walking and acting and and moving differently is because we haven't renewed our mind. Um, but it says, your behavior, Romans 12 and 2, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. First thing is that your behavior maps out a small road in your brain that creates a basic pathway for your thoughts. Okay? Your behavior, what you do. As you repeat a particular behavior, your brain builds a bigger highway that allows for an increased volume and frequency of thoughts to move about. All right? This results in your day-to-day actions, your day-to-day habit, how you do stuff. Because it started with a behavior, that behavior started with a little road, but the more you did that behavior, it created a superhighway to where now your people who you love, you can identify you as doing certain things. They can, they can mock you. 
They can pick up on your little idiosyncrasy. They can talk like you because you do it the same way. If some, some of y'all have been here long enough, y'all can probably mimic me in my preaching. Sometimes I get to talking too fast, I start to stutter. Some of y'all probably could notice that. But 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 again, when you whenever you begin to 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 allow a certain behavior to begin to become a pattern in your daily life, it, it builds a superhighway. And then number four says, in order uh, in order to change your behavior, you must reprogram your brain because you've been thinking a certain way. That's why I, I keep pushing, and and I'm gonna I'm gonna give a greater push on Sunday because I believe that one of the things that's hindering us from being a more dynamic church is we don't have enough people engaged in discipleship. People, you know, people are not willing to come and sit and and reason out of the scripture. You guys are here, so I'm not I'm not preaching to you all. You guys are here, y'all are here to study and to learn. But there are a lot of our members who are only Sunday morning Christians. You only see them on Sunday morning, and they're not going to be there for Sunday school, and they're sure not coming on Wednesday night. And that's, that's kind of the pattern that, that, that's in a lot of Bible churches. As a matter of fact, a lot of churches don't even do midweek service anymore. It's just Sunday, and it, it's sure not doing Sunday night. So what if we had a Sunday night service? Would you come back? Mm-hmm. I believe y'all will. Y'all are here on Wednesday, right? Now, again, attendance is not, doesn't mean transformation is taking place, but it sure is a sign. I can promise you this. If you are being transformed, you won't just stay at home because the more you're transformed, the more you're going to want God's word. The more you're going to learn together in authentic community. Are y'all with me? All right. So, so in order to change your behavior, you must reprogram your brain. You have to deconstruct an existing highway and replace it with a new one. I was telling the guys on Saturday, uh, they just finished that I-49 interchange. And I remember driving through there numerous times and seeing how they, they had to tear that road up. Tear up a, a good good concrete in, in order to, to, to make this new highway come through there. So they had, they had to deconstruct what was already there in order to build something that was even better. And that process takes time, okay? So, so, so some of our thought patterns that, that have been developed because of uh, because of that's my alarm. That's, that means that my time is almost up. <laughs> but uh, the, the uh, our thought patterns that have developed all, over all these years have have become like a super highway of thoughts, and we think a certain way. That's why we're known for certain things. And so, what we got to do is is tear down the stuff that don't line up with the Bible. Okay, we got to renew our mind with the word of God so it can deconstruct that super highway that's been developed because of our habits that we've had all these years. Okay, you, you don't do something for some years and, and, and you're going to just break it instantly by yourself. You need some supernatural intervention and that's God's Holy Spirit coming in. Okay, so the Bible teaches us to be transformed by the renewing of mind through the power of God's word. In time, the result is the formation of an entirely new neurological roadmap, okay, leading you to freedom from the past and to the better life you were meant to live. Now, the, the, the Judah in the book of Joel were, were, were facing impending judgment because they were in a position that they didn't need to be in. And God is calling them out. He's saying, I love you, and I'm sending judgment to bring you back to myself. Now, on next week, we'll look at the second chapter and, and the third chapter and, and, and begin to try to wrap these things up. But again, judgment is coming. 
Everybody say judgment is coming. And we'll, we'll look at the beam of judgment seat uh, on next week and talk about what's that going to look like for us as believers. So that as we think about future judgment, as we live our Christian life, we'll begin to say, okay, I got to do things differently because I got to give God an accounting of my stewardship of how I, how I live this Christian life and what did I do to advance the kingdom principles. Because that's what I'm going to be judged on. Thank God we're going to be in heaven, but you don't want to be in heaven naked. When I say naked, I mean not having any crown, not having any rewards. And the rewards are based on how faithful we are to God on this side of heaven. Okay? Amen? Give the Lord a hand of praise.